With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Welcome to Creating Great Workplaces with Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. In his 30-year corporate career, Dr. Mark learned firsthand that healthy workplaces had a direct linkage to sustained growth and profitability, while dysfunctional workplaces experienced exactly the opposite. In his search for the secret sauce, Dr. Mark interviews senior executives from companies that have been recognized as a top workplace in their market or category. And now, here's your host, Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. everybody, this is Mark Kinderleiter. Welcome to Creating Great Workplaces. I'll tell you, in my 30 plus year career, it is so clear to me that great workplaces have a distinct competitive advantage in the marketplace for people and customers. And the opposite is also true. A workplace that is not healthy is at a complete disadvantage. So that's the conversation we have on Creating Great Workplaces. What's the secret sauce from the executives that I get to visit with. And today, my guest is Trisha Ben. Trisha is the Chief Community Officer of the C-Suite Network and the General Manager of the Hero Club, an invitation-only membership organization for CEOs, founders, and investors. And I know Trisha, and I see her title here, but I am pretty clear that she's the COO of this company. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. You know, as an officer of these organizations, her mission is to build a platform and community that accelerates the success of C-level executives, owners, investors, and influencers. She is a leader in creating an executive community of collaboration based on integrity, transparency, and measuring success beyond the numbers alone, which she calls the hero factor. And I love that approach, uh, Tricia. This approach has driven her for more than a 20-year track record of industry disruption really want to dig into that topic in building new businesses, revenue streams, and delivering double-digit year-over-year growth. So, Trisha, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Mark. I am so thrilled to be here with you. This is such a treat. Yeah, my, my pleasure. i really like to talk about a couple of experiences you've had where you've told me that you were really intentional about driving culture. So, in a previous life, You worked for a huge telecom company in Canada, Rogers, and you had the opportunity to start a startup within a major corporation. So that's a pretty cool experience. So tell me about that. It was an exceptional experience. I'd gone back and forth in my career across the border, Canadian US border. I'd been in Washington, DC, and that was my first taste of really reshaping an entire business. We had acquired a business in Washington, DC. It wasn't working out well. And Mark, this is a beautiful example where culture goes awry. Half of the team mutinied and walked out one day. And I went in as a newly promoted vice president at 31 years old. And my job was to fix the office. And so obviously there were all of the infrastructure and you know business-related pieces of making that business successful. But the people side of it, obviously, just as if not far more important in getting that business set up to be successful. 
So then next step, go to Rogers. And within Rogers, it was a really exciting opportunity. What had happened was they had a market research group that was a cost center. And that was the traditional model, large, large organizations. This is over a $20 billion company. Now in the media business, whatever, billions, whatever, large numbers. And the cost center of market research was very, very high. And my role was to come in. Now I had sat on the supplier side as an executive. I went to the client side and completely turned that business model around and became the first in Canada to be offering services where we were monetizing the market research function within the organization. So I ended up through a lot of great lessons in those previous roles in my career, building a great culture that delivered over a $20 million business. And in a time where it was incredibly disruptive and we could have fun with some stories around that, but that's sort of the concise version of it. So as you look back on that great experience of being an entrepreneur inside a big company, (laughs) that's pretty cool. So you said you were really intentional about creating something different, disrupting and creating a culture that allowed that. Share a couple of things that you were really intentional about in creating the culture of disruption. I love disruption. And it's so interesting. People have so many different connotations that go along with the word disruption. So it can mean negative things. Somebody who's knocking things over for no reason and really working against success. My definition of disruption is when you're really looking at things where you see an opportunity that in the old way of doing things would be missed. And so disruption for me is either it's forced upon you like what we just saw with COVID, or you see an opportunity that you can take advantage of. And that's what happened with that particular scenario at Rogers. I saw an opportunity and being an entrepreneur inside of a $20 billion company, you know, oftentimes people will think, oh, well, money's just thrown around. No, the typical entrepreneur inside of a very large enterprise-sized organization is you get to keep your job as long as you make it successful. So it really is as close as you can get to being an entrepreneur and starting your own business. And my approach was one very much of there are needs in the market that I know we can serve in a totally different business model. So on the supplier side, I had to buy access to executive audiences, B2B decision-making audiences that cost a fortune. Inside of the media business, we owned all the brands that served all those B2B audiences. So I had immediate and totally free, quote unquote free, obviously there was a lot of service going into creating these bases, but I had full access to those databases. And not only that, all of the IP intelligence of the editorial and publishing teams that serve those different decision-making audiences. So turning that around and creating a monetization that they didn't take advantage of at all, they paid for research to be done of their own audiences, was an incredible opportunity and one that was very disruptive. So ironically, I sat on the National Association Board at the same time for market research So I joke, it was as well-received as me announcing I was going to sell my mother on the corner of the street at five o'clock in the evening, you know, so it was not well-received, but it was tremendous. And I was able to also disrupt from a technology perspective. So I was the first organization at the enterprise size level to bring in new technology that meant you could survey your own audiences. And obviously that's something, if you're not doing that today, you've got problems. But back 15, 20 years ago, I don't know, it seems like forever now, but 
no one was doing that. We didn't have the technology to do it, Mark. So I was the first one to bring that in and really capitalize on those opportunities and deliver monetization that was being lost in the media business through digital transformation that they were not prepared for. How did you build that mindset that you clearly have, Tricia, into your team so that they were comfortable being disruptors? And even more than that, they were excited about being disruptors and creating new business opportunities. How'd you bake that into your team? There are a few concepts that I absolutely hold to be true. I hold to be true. A great team will succeed over a single star in a group of people. So Every single person's value in contributing to success is just an absolute principle I hold to be true. And and so there, there are things like that that I absolutely believe. I believe you build on people's strengths. I don't believe you try to fix them with what they are terrible at. If I'm being true to the language I use, I will say you're a grown adult. So I I appreciate and truly hope that you understand that you suck at certain things. And that's great, right? So it's what you're strong at, what you can really contribute and develop and build that no one else on the team can do. That's what I want to see. And that's what I want to strengthen. And that's what I want to build on. So so those kinds of principles are really, really important. But then in creating a culture of innovation, you've got to get people over the risk adversity that that is inherent. And especially in enterprise-sized organizations where frequently um, risking anything is putting your neck on the line. And so, you know, in my teams, and I know, Mark, you've seen this and I have so much fun with it. I use very simple visuals to explain what's happening. So, you know, for example, when COVID happened, um, I, I use the visual of putting my two hands together. And for everyone listening, you put your two hands together and you have it go from your heart to the furthest corner in your room, that's the growth we want to see. We want to see that fast growth. And the way that I explain innovation is the only way to keep that growth, the only way to grow forward is that you're constantly innovating to pull forward and up. And in terms of anything that works that you want to keep, that's seeing that success for you, that's delivering on that success for you, you want your operations team to be filling in and supporting and holding that line, whatever doesn't work is simply dropped. And, and it's amazing to me how frequently we have ourselves caught in the fear of failure or the fear of mistakes. I mean, my goodness, that's, that's just being human. That's breathing. Get over it. And so that very simple hand gesture, and it's so funny to see people try to do it. They know it's something with their hands together and one pulling up and one filling in. Um, but, but that very simple gesture makes it very clear. The stuff that we don't want to keep is just stuff we don't want to keep. And the faster we learn what we don't want to keep, the more we can move forward as quickly as we want to. So very simple models like that help incredibly so. And then you're just filling in with your culture. You reward that moving forward. Okay, what worked, what didn't work? And I love, you know, Mark, you've you've co-hosted with me at Celebrates and you you're there on Friday evenings when we do our Celebrates event. I started sharing just a few months ago how badly the first one went. Um, it was it, it, by all measurements, it, you could easily have classified it as a ringing failure that you would never replicate. And yet it's become the most successful event 
in, in every way, new members, member retention, community build and galvanization. It is extraordinary. And yet the first time we did it, it was terrible. So uh, uh, let's switch to that experience that you have now. Mm -hmm. uh, before we switch to the, your current experience at C-Suite Network, you know, what was, how much of the, uh, the success that you created uh, within Rogers with, with that startup, how much of that had to do with the culture that you were driving? Is that 50% or I, no magic number here, but how, how much of an influence was the culture that you were driving on innovation? I would say 100%. Really? I would. You know, the, the, the fact of the matter is people want to classify and say, these are soft skills and these are the hard skills. And whatever side of the column they sit on, they want to argue that that one's the best and the only one that delivers. To me, culture sits on both. You cannot have the financial success uh, without the, the people piece of it. And so the, the culture and how you set people up, you either set them up to draw out the very best in them and to succeed together as a team, or you can truly draw out the worst. And that I got to experience both of those types of cultures, along with being my mom's partner from being a very young uh, you know, child uh, in terms of how you build successful teams. And so I am a massive believer. You want to see certain results unless you're addressing the infrastructure and the culture to support their greatness. You will not succeed or or you will not succeed to the level you certainly could. And um, and and my whole experience has borne that out in every possible way. And, you know, Mark, of course, we advise and work with thousands of executives and business owners, um, hundreds of thousands and millions in terms of our total reach. But but that is that is a blanket that I feel very comfortable with wearing. So uh, so 100 <laughs> percent influence. So let's uh, go ahead and switch gears to C-suite network where you uh, are both a senior executive and a partner. Mm -hmm. And so, first of all, just tell our listeners maybe a couple of minutes about what C-suite uh, network is, and then we'll kind of shift to the culture conversation. Sure. So C-Suite Network, the vision for it was set by uh, my business partner, our founder and chairman, Jeffrey Hazlett. And the vision was that we would deliver uh, accelerated success for influencers, executives, business owners, and investors. So it's essentially a platform, a, a network uh, of, of people in a community um, where we have principles of uh, relevancy, reach, reciprocity, respect. And, um, and then we have different products and services and so on that we help to deliver. So for example, our podcast platform, with Mar which Mark, obviously uh, you're a tremendous leader in, our TV platform, and then all the other professional services that we deliver against the different communities within the platform. So um, at the end of the day, our vision is really truly to provide everything that our audience needs to succeed faster with the values-based approach that great business leaders will have great impact with their communities. So success is more than just dollar figures. It's about what we do with our success. And in, in community, we can move a lot faster, create larger pies um, and, and greater success and greater impact. Thank you for that. And as a member, um, I am on the receiving end of that. So this podcast is part of that platform. I'm in a mastermind 
uh, group, uh, we call it a council called the Thought Council. And that's one of those products and services that are, are richly beneficial to be able to collaborate. I know you're a big believer in collaboration, and so am I. Great opportunity to collaborate with some really smart, high-quality people. Mm-hmm. So COVID comes along. Uh, Tricia, that wasn't in the playbook. Um, and uh, so you talk about disrupting. Well, we were all disrupted by COVID. Um, so as we go back to culture, we're in C-suite at that point in time where you set up uh, with a culture of innovation that made that shift easy. Interestingly enough, we were not set up with the culture that certainly we have now, uh, nor the one that we're moving to. So I look at culture as a living, breathing piece of how we all interact with each other. So so, uh, if we went years back, we didn't have a very good culture. Um, People were not acting in a way of a successful team, a team that embraces innovation, et cetera. And we've really conscientiously worked to create the infrastructure and support for a great team and pull everyone together. And Mark, you know, in in full transparency, as I said earlier, my concept of being a leader and supporter is a big is a big component of success. And I have something right now that I'm challenging the team with. That's a, a, a big new ask. Our world is changing again. So this, what we're going through right now in becoming hybrid, is as massive a disruption as going fully virtual. Absolutely. Less noise, but just as disruptive. So that means tremendous opportunity. It also means tremendous challenge. So I have an email on my on my desktop right now uh, that that reminds the team this is what the expectation is, and everybody is stepping up as a leader and a supporter in um, how we succeed and how we move forward together. And so I, um, uh, it's it's been. So incredibly rewarding to see all those small and huge steps in continuing to work with the team and pull on those principles to draw out truly their strengths for us to succeed through COVID. And it was a big ask. March 13th to March 16th, 2020, we our, our entire business model changed overnight. And so uh, it was a big ask. And um, and it's just been incredibly rewarding to see the team rally around and deliver on, you know, what looked impossible to, you know, it could look impossible to, to some at certain times, uh, to all of us at, at any one given time. So it's exciting. One of the things that I saw that I thought was kind of magical was your model before was in person largely that these networks of different kinds, business owners, consultants, you know, uh, investors, uh, you had these different groups that met two, three times a year in person, and they were great events. COVID comes along, (laughs) not an option. So I I love kind of what you did. It was March 13 to 16th. You made some new sausage with your team. Um, So what were kind of the highlights of, of what that new, brain thing was where you really created something new in a very short period of time. That is not easy to do. 
You know, it, it, it isn't, but what a great rallying cry. You know, we have all these incredible leaders like you, Mark, that we do not want to let down and we're not going to let down. And so that rallying cry of, it's not just about, you know, what's this doing to our company, but, but more importantly, we're serving, you know, and so, so what do we need to be able to do to deliver for the people we serve, the people we care about and that we want to see succeed through the greatest of challenges. And so, you know, Jeffrey Hazlett, to his credit, he came out on March 16th, first thing in the morning, and he said, listen, we're going to drive and thrive. We're going to show everyone how to do it. <laughs> and we're going to be here. You know, we're not we're not first responders from a health perspective, but from a business perspective, we couldn't be any more so. So let's get on it. And my rallying cry for the team, and, you know, I, I alluded to our Celebrates event earlier was, okay, so first and foremost, we're not going to cancel anything. So no canceling. So we spent the first couple of weeks just figuring out how do we move everything that was live, everything that was booked in person to a virtual event so that we provided that consistency, that steadiness, that, uh, you know, no matter what, whatever's happening, we're here for you. So you know that don't, don't worry you know, from that perspective, we are going to be here. We're going to be figuring this out together and, you know, lots of great ideas, lots of great minds on the challenges that we're facing. And also, you know, a little bit of the, the, the shoulder too, right? It was, it was a challenging time. And so we spent the first two to three weeks on that. My, my rallying cry then for our business development team was, okay, so we went from these very high touch in-person events and a very high level membership. So our memberships would be at $10,000 plus. And now we've got this COVID situation where we can't be in person and nobody's looking to spend an extra $10,000 when nobody knows what's happening. It's very uncertain times. So what do we do? And so the, the you know, it was sort of like that question and a resounding, not much of an answer. And because everybody was adjusting and so on. So we had our next meeting. It was, I'll never forget. It was a Monday morning. And I said, okay, so what are the ideas? Uh, resounding quietness. <laughs> I mean, yeah, crickets. So I said, okay, well, here's the thing. We have to figure out how we're going to go from selling one-to-one at this level, you know, a very uh, high ticket item to one-to-many which will create the opportunity of touching more. We're going to serve more because we can reach more people uh, with this virtual experience. So, but what does that look like? How do we deliver on that? And so that we're bringing in that monetization to keep going so we can keep serving, you know? So uh, what we decided is, and I said, okay, so how about this? Whoever you're speaking with, I don't care who it is. If it's somebody who's qualified for the C-suite network, ask them to join us at eight o'clock on Wednesday evening and let's have a conversation and see what it looks like. And, you know, the usual things happen. This is Monday morning and I'm talking Wednesday inv evening, inviting them to an event less than two days later. And, um, and <laughs> I got the, you know, what, what are we going to do? How, how are we going to get anybody else? You know, that kind of thing. And I said, it doesn't matter. One, two, three, 10 people makes no difference. Let's just use it. We're going to, we said next week, it'd be the same thing. So, so let's just say Wednesday night, eight o'clock and, um, and whoever we have, we have now, what would we share? What would we talk about? 
So we came up with like, I don't know, three or four slides. We came up with this little agenda and we had two people show up. And in order to exaggerate and certainly emphasize the point of how badly that event went, we did have two people show up and neither of those two people have joined to date. <laughs> so, so it was not a resounding success. But what was incredibly successful about it is it pushed quickly to an understanding. So when we look at that model I was using of my two hands together going up as quickly as possible and innovating as quickly as possible to pull us forward, that two-day time slot could have been a week, two weeks, a month, and we would have been in the same position figuring out, oh, what we had planned didn't exactly work. Wednesday at eight o'clock didn't work. The content that we presented didn't work. The slides didn't work. It really wasn't engaging. So what we did and the success of it was we sat immediately afterward and debriefed what worked, what didn't work, what would we do? How would it look? What would we do next? And we came up with the exact blueprint of what is Celebrates. Five o'clock. Now, who's going to do five o'clock on a Friday afternoon? Turns out well over a hundred executives every single Friday. Yeah. And it's been absolutely extraordinary. And so um, if we hadn't done that, and this is the really interesting thing, Mark, if we hadn't done that, if we hadn't said two days, we're pushing forward and let's try it again with the new concept and then the permission to push pause. You remember that, Mark? Yes, I that, was, that was a couple of days later over a glass of wine because I, I, you know, we're trying to come up with the right title. And I said, you know, I, everybody just wants to push a pause button, right? Because it's just constant decision-making and constant input of all this bad news. We want to push a pause button. And Rebecca and I were sitting together uh, late one night. We both had a glass of wine and uh, permission to push pause came to play. And as soon as we sent that out, invite out, I think I had 80, 90% of the people I sent the invite to accepted. And that was the first celebrates. And um, if we hadn't done that, I don't know that we would have ever done it. And so we might have missed such an incredibly great opportunity and never done it. Yeah. You know, I hear actually two things listening to you, Tricia, that wine can influence innovation. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> or at least one glass. Um, mm -hmm. But here's really what I hear. Um, I've heard John Maxwell talk about a mindset called fail forward. I hear that loud and clear with you that failing, unlike some of the corporate gigs that you and I have done previously, uh, was punished yeah. uh, terribly, right? Uh, yeah. So much so that you don't try that again, right? Right. You, I, I had a buddy of mine tell me a couple months ago, I said, how are you doing at, at, a, at a company? He said, keeping my head down and my mouth shut. So how, how's that for innovation? <laughs> That's just horrendous. And, you know, here's the thing. I really do challenge the notion of failing forward, though, because it's not failure. The, the definition for me, failure is sitting in something that doesn't work. Failure is keeping your mouth shut. <laughs> yeah. You know, failure is accepting if I do anything, I, I, I suck. You know, it, it's to me, failure is sitting in it. So, so, you know, how we succeed faster is not being emotionally attached to information. It's information. Remember that uh, it's years ago now, but that whole notion that it's information, good or bad, doesn't matter. You know, I'll never forget. I had a mentor who said, Trisha, I don't care if it's good news or bad news. A surprise isn't good. You know, and so if you can, if you can create detachment 
from the emotion around wanting something to work versus the information you're gathering, it is so incredibly powerful. You know, if we liken it to athletic experiences, I was a competitive figure skater. You fall far more frequently than you stand, especially when you're learning. And so, you know, that that just is what it is. You get back up and you go again and you do it again and you do it again and you do it again. That's not failing. If you, as an athlete, sat and said, oh, I failed, you'd never perform. And so, you know, in the workplace, the fact that there's that uh, emotional attachment and judgment and, um, and, and punishment, <laughs> even more extreme, is so ludicrous to me. It's the people that will try, that will move you forward. That is what success is. Sitting in your failure, sitting in uh, things that don't work, that is, that is what truly needs to end. That is, that is the epitome of losing the battle. Yeah. So you take issue with fail forward because just fail, right? Fail. Yeah. It's, it's not fair. I hear the figure skater in you is try a jump, fall down, get back up and do it better next time. Absolutely. Learn. There's information. Yeah. So what are you sensing? You know, so so if you use the athletic analogy, what did you learn in that? You can feel and 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 for athletes that are really, you know, precision based athletes, figure skating as an example, when you're rotating like that, if you're off a couple millimeters on anything, you're done. You know, and you learn to feel that. And and so if you can if you can take away the emotional connection for the team and drive them through to the success and the rest is information that's helping us get there, then they're on the journey with you. And you cannot you cannot stop a team committed to the success and the gathering of information that makes it so that you will deliver on it. You know, the emotion I think you're talking about, at least from my experience, is fear. Yes. Isn't it? When we get stuck in fear, we don't try new stuff. You don't try that new jump. You don't try that. Yeah. That's the limit of my skating. uh, Yes. (laughs) Terminology. Um, uh, That double axle. Is that a real thing? Right. It is. It's a real thing. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so true in business. If it's a culture of punish failure, people sit around in fear and don't and do what my buddy does. Yes. Down, mouth shut. Good luck with innovation. Well, here's another way that our culture plays tricks on us. So another way that our culture plays tricks on us is heaven forbid you're the one voice that says something different. Yeah. And, and that is, again, something we need to lose as quickly as possible. If you're the one voice that says something different, my goodness, are you creating value? So it's what you do with that. So if you're using that one voice that's different to punish people or express frustration with people or something like that, then shame on you, really, truly. If you're using your voice as the one voice that's different to share a different perspective, to protect the team on information they wouldn't have otherwise, to help them succeed faster... That is incredibly valuable. So this is where the diversity and inclusion piece of building a great culture and a great team becomes so important. So as you might imagine, I have always been on the edge of innovation, right? 
I like disruption. I like challenges. Those things excite me because I know there's opportunity in there. And, and with my teams, my goal is always to scale fast enough that I don't have to lose them. Now, if if I do, then I want them to go somewhere where I can still work with them. But, but um, I want to scale fast enough that I'm creating that kind of exceptional opportunity internally. So your, your method is becoming very clear to me. <laughs> You're very intentional about seeing opportunities in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's where the disruption comes in. Find a better way. Right. Uh, and, and you've had the experience. Here's what I think is kind of cool about your experience, Tricia, is you initiated disruption back at Rogers. And with C-suite, you had to respond to it. Yes. Right. Uh, and and did success did that successfully in both situations? You know, I can give you another example, Mark. So I started that group at Rogers back in 2003. In 2007, 2008, we had a little bit of a crisis. And I will tell you that I was the only group in the entire division that met their financial targets that year. And it is truly everything that we're talking about. I had an incredible team that was there as a trusted advisor through a really challenging time for all of our clients. So we did have a couple of clients that were really in bad shape and couldn't spend. But most of our companies that that were our clients actually spent more with us for us to help them get out of the trouble that, that they were faced with. And it was phenomenal. And my team was incredible. And so, um, you know, I knew from that, that as we drive through COVID and everything we do in the Hero Club, you know, with our CEOs, founders, investors who are pledged to lead with integrity, transparency, give back to their communities and share in their success. When you have that kind of leadership through crisis, you win larger. And, and, you know, we had Evan Dash, I interviewed Evan Dash for our digital discussion last week. Perfect example. Everything of hero leadership drawing on an incredible team, and they delivered in spades. And um, it's so exciting to be able to share that story. It is not better business to treat your people badly. It is not better business to enforce cultures that um, don't bring out strengths and the best of teams. In, and and when you do, it becomes addictive, uh, as I know you well know, Mark. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have a talk that I call the tale of two cultures. And it's basically what you, you're talking about, Tricia, is you live in, in an unhealthy culture and you've lived in and led healthy cultures. And so have I. And the differences are stark and the difference on the impact of the business is so clear, isn't it? Incredible. The, 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 and this is where I really have trouble with the, you know, the separation as if treating your people and addressing the people part of the equation is somehow all soft and snuggly and huggly. Um, and, you know, the financials are where the real business is. If you're not addressing both, you are missing revenue, you are missing monetization, you're missing efficiencies, and you're missing the, the, the mission based approach of your entire team. When they understand that what they say, and do matters. As I said, again, there's no stopping that kind of team. They will figure it out. And um, and how we bring our teams along in that process is, um, is something that as leaders, we should be working on every single day. You can't, you can't let up on those things. And you have to figure out where you draw the line. 
you know, where you throw the gauntlet down and you say, that's that, this is what we're doing. And I need everybody on board with this. (laughs) And these are our values. This is what we're going to do. And I need to know, are you ready to step up to do this? You said earlier in the show, and it's a, it's a mindset I embrace about leadership. It's one side of the coin is leading, right? The other side of the coin is supporting. And, and that's where mature leadership judgment comes in, knowing when to lead and knowing when to support. And you seem to have that discernment kind of figured out. You know, I came up with that model again, as just a very simple way. And it was when I was at Rogers with my team there of explaining why it was so important to give others on the team opportunity and leadership responsibilities. So if you're scaling growth and it's not just hiring in new people at higher levels, if you're scaling growth and you're actually wanting that maximum growth from the people you already have internally as well, you have to be leapfrogging them forward. They cannot just go on some kind of gradual progression of years of study. They have to be actually implementing. So for example, on that team, I had interns who would lead moderated discussions of our strat planning sessions. They would present out, they would create an agenda. They they learned what it was to have to present to a PowerPoint or we were using Prezi because we were very cutting edge back then um, and, um, and, and be in that hot seat. Well, what did that do? That meant that they understood what it was to be in the hot seat. And when they were supporting me doing a presentation or somebody else on my team that was a senior researcher, you know, that kind of role, they understood what it was to be in the hot seat. Was there preparation for that person, their support of that person's presentation a million times better? You bet it is. (laughs) So that kind of leapfrogged growth told them we trusted them. We were investing in them. We were giving them responsibilities and taking the time. It takes a little bit of time, but the leapfrog growth And the value that presented to our clients and so on to have them have that experience and be supporting the rest of the team in doing far more effective and efficient job in delivering on the services and products and so on that we delivered was exponential. And so that's something that leader supporter model is just a constant leapfrogging of growth potential and one that I think is missed so frequently. We're trying to teach people, be respectful of other people. These are basic premises, yes, (laughs) that you cannot succeed without a full team commitment and appreciation and respect for the roles of everybody on that team. But when you put it in this model of everybody being a leader and a supporter, it's a concept that everybody can understand. It doesn't have to do with hierarchy. It has to do with who's taking on responsibility to deliver on a particular service or product or action. That sounds like secret sauce, Tricia, creating a mindset throughout the organization that everybody's a leader, everybody's a supporter. And it completely takes away the notion of excuses like, I can't do it because of that person. This is happening to me. I'm a victim. It has nothing to do with me. It's not my responsibility. All of those things that any one of us can get sucked into it's removed by that. We're all leaders. We're all supporters. And we all have the responsibility to deliver on our success. And accountability comes with that model. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Tricia, great conversation. So, two last questions. One is, if there was just one message that you wanted to leave listeners 
that was the thing that you want people to remember from this great conversation, what would it be? I think the most important thing, and this is where I'm aligning for my book that I'm working on, is culture is mission critical. If you want to build successful teams, if you want to succeed faster than what makes sense rationally, then you need to be really, truly investing in and delivering on a great culture, which doesn't mean toys in the corner. It means accounting for people's strengths, their responsibility and ownership of creating great outcomes and the respect that that deserves. And then also, which we haven't really touched on is have fun with it. If we're succeeding in what we're doing, you need to create meaning, purpose, and that connection and be having fun. Life is short. And if we do those things, really, truly, we can be integrating our lives with real meaning, purpose, and connection. And I think there is no way that your financials do not tie in with that. And so if you're missing that part of the equation and you're getting the culture piece right, and I referenced the you know toys in the corner kind of scenario, then you're not integrating the full piece of what people have to deliver on your team and what you have to deliver for your team. So those would be my main. Okay. Yeah. Culture is not the Silicon Valley ping pong table. <laughs> it's integrating what all the things that you're talking about, that mindset, those those goals that go from center to up to the right. So share your mission, share your mission. You know, what is the mission? And if it's a great mission and you're empowering people, there's no stopping you getting there. The financials are just part of the game. Yeah. They're an outcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think human nature, Tricia, is we all want to be part of something that we buy into, that we believe is important and that we want to be part of that. Mm -hmm. And when business leaders get that, That is powerful. And I see you doing that. So congratulations. Thank you so much, Mark. That meaning and connection and purpose, this is such a substantial amount of our lifetime. (laughs) So I agree with you. We all want that. We want to wake up in the morning knowing that what we're delivering matters, that we are part of something that's going to succeed and deliver real meaning and value. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for a great conversation. So contact information, anybody who's interested in the C-Suite Network, how do they find you? Trisha, so T-R-I-C-I-A at C-Suite Network, and it's C-Suite, S-U-I-T-E, network.com. Okay, awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, Trisha, thanks for a great conversation. And uh, when the book is out, let's talk again. I would love to, Mark. Thank you so much. Thanks. So folks, I always say that great podcasts are the new MBA because it's real time, real business learning. So thanks for tuning in. Companies with healthy, engaging workplaces have a distinct advantage over the competition in any industry. We hope you got at least one tip from this podcast to move you forward in creating a workplace people are proud to be a part of. Thanks for listening to Creating Great Workplaces with your host, Dr. Mark Hinderleiter. For a complimentary consultation, call Dr. Mark at 636-346-8466. For more information, visit us at thirdwayinc.com. That is T-H-I-R-D-W-A-Y-I-N-C.com. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.